Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bro. Down with the colonial virus. 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 Colonial virus is why I can't live. That thing gotta go. You gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. Down with the colonial virus. 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 Uhuru, welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Uwambi Tongu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. Today we're going to talk about the campaign to free Mumia Abu-Jamal. Mumia Abu-Jamal is an African political prisoner who has been behind bars in Pennsylvania for 39 years. He was framed for the 1981 murder of a Philadelphia police officer. This was part of an ongoing counterinsurgency that military defeated the Black Revolution of the 60s. To discuss this with us today, we have Mike Africa Jr. of the MOVE organization. Mike Africa Jr. is an activist and the host of the podcast On a Move with Mike Africa Jr. He is the focus of the HBO original documentary, 40 Years a Prisoner. He is a stage performer, keynote speaker, and a hip-hop artist. Mike Jr. is also the son of Debbie and Mike Africa, two members of the MOVE 9 who were convicted in the murder of a Philadelphia cop during the 1978 police assault and burning of the Move House in West Philly. Uhuru Mike, thank you for coming on the People's War Radio Show. Last Wednesday, there was a press conference calling for an end to the inhumane treatment of ill and elderly prisoners in Pennsylvania and demanding the immediate release of Mumia Abu-Jamal. Can you give our listeners an understanding of who Mumia is? Uhuru, on the move. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, first of all. I, I do appreciate the time to to get a chance to to talk to the people a little bit and um and explain to to folks who Mumia is and um and where he is in his life at this point. Uh, Mumia Abu Jamal is a political prisoner, first off, and he has been in prison, like you said, since 1981. Um Mumia is a journalist. Uh he's a husband, he's a father, he's a grandfather, and a great grandfather. He was accused of killing a cop in 1981. The reason he's in prison, though, has nothing to do with the, the, a dead cop. The reason Mumia is in prison is because he speaks the truth against the injustices in the system. When Move was going through the things that we were going through with the police and the officials in the city of Philadelphia, Mumia was a journalist that was speaking out about the experiences, and he would tell the truth about what was going on. And as a result, he became a target. And um, being a target in the in the in this country, especially when the person that's targeting you is a racist like Frank Rizzo, they see to it that they 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 try to see to it that they eliminate you. And when they couldn't kill him, they put him in prison. 
And that was f- nearly 40 years ago. And today he st- he remains in prison. Yeah. You know, Momia really was targeted by Frank Rizzo because of his defense of the MOVE organization. You know, we know the MOVE organization uh, was an important organization in its uh, upholding of the uh, Black Power Movement and really the international struggle for African liberation on many uh, different points, which is uh, the source of the attack. We know that uh, as a youth, I think he joined the Panthers as young as age 14. By age 16, he was the lieutenant of information for the Black Panther Party in Philadelphia, which we know had suffered uh, multiple, multiple attacks by the state over there in Philadelphia. He was the president of the Association of Black Journalists and and like as you know, it has really continued uh, that work behind bars. So from behind prison walls, Mumia Abu-Jamal has continued to speak out, delivering regular commentaries over the phone for distribution by independent media outlets. Here's one of them. Produced in December 2008, following the selection of U.S. President Barack Obama. False freedom. There's a certain sense in the minds of millions in the aftermath of the U.S. presidential election that we've reached a promised land. The imagery and oratory of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is invoked to suggest that his dream, as articulated in his epic, I Have a Dream speech, has been realized. There's a deep sense that freedom is here, as we all live in a post-racial America. Or do we? To be sure, we're all on the brink of history, for this has never happened before. But there was a time, quite a while ago, that similar feelings swept the nation, and especially black hearts, that a new day was breaking, and the old ways had fallen away, when freedom was as real as rain. I speak of the Reconstruction era, when the nation extended civil rights to millions of black men, not to women notably, and scores of black people took office in state and federal legislatures and began a wave of progressive legislation to better the abominable living conditions of millions, black and white alike. But Reconstruction was short-lived due to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, the betrayal of black freedmen by the federal government, and the campaign of white terrorism against black people and Republicans, which converged to reassert white supremacy. What this history revealed is that freedom can be ephemeral. It matters not what is written in constitutions, nor the rhetoric or promises of politicians. It matters what people fight for. It matters what social movements struggle for. From death row, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. These commentaries are produced by Noel Hanrahan for Prison Radio. That was Mumia Abu-Jamal's 2008 message following the selection of President Barack Obama. Like you said, his incarceration has nothing to do with what he's accused of. It has to do uh, with the fact that he stood up uh, against uh, uh, in, 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 in defensive move. He stood up against the, the terror of um, the colonial and neo-colonial. A government through which uh, Africans endured. Mike, um, you said that Mamiya was arrested and convicted, you know, for uh, basically a false a false conviction of, you know, they say he killed a cop. Um, we know initially he was sentenced to death, and now he's serving life in a life sentence. How did that happen? The man of the people. A lot of people got involved to try to support 
Mumia during his case, uh, within his case and during his trials, and with a lot of a lot of legal um, maneuvers, Mumia's attorneys found a way to force the system to take back the death penalty and give him life in prison as an alternative. They found it to be unconstitutional to put him in to keep him in prison on death row. And um, therefore, they they put him on life without parole. That happened sometime in like 2000. What was that? 2008 or nine or something. It was it's been a while. Uh, But the fact that he's still in prison and facing the type of ailments that he has, life in prison, life without parole is nothing more than slow death row. Now, I don't really consider his life to be uh, unthreatened now just because they take him, took him off of death row status and put him on life without parole status. This is slow death row. Life without parole is slow death row because the same punishment, the same torture that the death row inmates endure, the life without parole inmates endure the same things. And many people behind the walls in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania prisons are facing the same exact thing. Mumia is suffering from hepatitis C. He's suffering from eczema, extreme eczema. He's suffering from COVID-19. And he's also suffering from heart disease. And at this point, we're not sure, you know, how long he can last with all of these different elements without the proper care. You know, when you're relying on the DOC to take care of you, the, the, the Department of Correction to take care of you, you can't really expect them to, to do the type of job that would give you uh, true healing. So we're trying to urge folks to get involved to support his release so that he can get treatment from uh, a good source of, of, of uh, medical attention. Really appreciate that. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Mike Africa Jr. On August 9th, 1978, just three years before Mumia's arrest, hundreds of Philadelphia cops, under the direction of then mayor and notorious anti black thug Frank Rizzo, attacked one of the Move organization's houses and arrested nine of their members for the murder of one police officer. Mumia was one of the few journalists, as we noted, that came to the defense of the MOVE organization and spoke out against the attacks. Your mother, Debbie Africa, was eight months pregnant with you when the uh, police attacked the MOVE house in 1978. Both she and your father, uh, Mike Africa Sr., survived the attack and were framed for the murder of the cop who died in the assault. Can you tell us about MOVE and the constant attacks that you all have endured by the state over the years? Well, first, let me let me just make a correction. It wasn't August 9th, 1978. It was August 8th, 1978. Um, To talk about the assaults, you know, the assaults on MOVE throughout the entire existence of the organization have been much like the assaults that you've seen on George Floyd 
and on Breonna Taylor and on Ahmaud Arbery and on Trayvon Martin and on other countless other uh, members of the black community. Move has been as assaulted by the police and assaulted by the system ever since Move, but even before Move. The Move organization is not a unique organization in the sense of uh, suffering from police attacks or official brutality from these people. Move has joined in with other organizations that's been involved in protesting against these things. And therefore, the attacks have come harder because John Africa, who is the founder of the organization, has a certain level of wisdom that is very persuasive and powerful, much like a lot of other other people, too. But when you have concentrated wisdom, you're, you're much more of a concentrated target. But some of the attacks that we've experienced, listen, move women have been beaten into miscarriage by police. Move babies have been killed by police. The police dropped the bomb on our house May 13th, 1985, and killed 11 of our family members, including five kids. You know, we've, we've endured a lot. They put my parents in prison and gave them a 100-year jail sentence for a crime that 40 years later the government apologized for. It's incredible. It's incredible that these things happen. It's incredible that these things are allowed to happen. It's incredible that they're allowed to happen by the public. It's also incredible that they're allowed to happen by the government. But it's important for us to know that the government don't care. They don't care about us. And that sounds like a obvious statement. But if you exa examine it a little closer, a little deeper, you, you look at look at the examples that proves that point. But right now, Derek Chauvin, the cop that killed George Floyd, kneeled on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, premeditated murder. He's on trial. If anybody in this country has ever seen a cop on trial, we already know how that trial is going to end. Meanwhile, you got people like Mumi Abu-Jamal who's in prison for a questionable, very questionable case. And if the state has it their way, he'll die in prison. There's something wrong with that. There's a level of, of, of inequality that is unmatched in this country by anywhere else in the entire world. The United States has over 2.7 million people in prison. Disproportionately, the majority of those people are black. Meanwhile, in everywhere, every other country in the world, it's a far less conviction rating, far less prison time. But the government makes so much money off of keeping people in prison. They don't they they, they need to keep people in prison to 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 make money. That's their job. That's an industry. It's no different than the industry that makes clothes. They're making money off of the exploitation of life. And MOVE has spoken out about this throughout the history of the organization, and we've been a target. And every type of uh, assault that you can think of has been waged against us. Oh, thanks for that. Uh, Mike, I wanted to say congratulations on the recent release of 40 Years a Prisoner. 
the HBO original documentary detailing your struggle to get your parents and the Move 9 released from prison. Can you talk about that? Sure. What do you want to know? I know that uh, the documentary released right around the time of the police murder of Walter Wallace. And um, uh, there was a screening actually uh, in the middle of the protests and some of the comrades out there in Philadelphia uh, attended the screening. So, uh, you know, sometimes when you look at some of the films, they tend to just be, uh, you know, just a chronicle uh, of the past, you know, uh, uh, which sometimes allow for people to think, oh, well, stuff was bad in the past, but clearly uh, that's not the point of the documentary. That's not the point of, 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 of the cultural work that you have produced around the stuff, right? It's about, so, you know, uh, I really appreciate the way through which in your interview, and like you said, sort of uh, connecting uh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the repression that the MOVE organization has experienced to this, uh, you know, continued uh, freedom struggle of, of, of African people and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, getting this information out on big screens, on major platforms such as HBO, it's important for this information to land in spaces like that because that's a mainstream and and you get more eyes on it. You get more people who didn't know knowing. And the more people know, the more able you are to gain some traction on getting support. The truth, there's a saying that truth shall, the truth shall set you free. Well, that's real. That's why the government spends so much time making sure that they tell people lies. You know, the truth shall set you free. That's why they force people into these schools so that they can teach these children lies. The truth shall set you free. That's why they spent that's why the government spent so much time with these television shows pushing out their propaganda and telling these lies. The more people know why De- Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd, the more outraged people will be, the less likely they will be to accept or tolerate it. The more people know about what happened to my family and that I am not um, the only person that this happened to, and I am certainly not the only person that this will have happened to. If you don't do something about what's happening now, then you're going to have more situations like this. So I'm pleased that the, that the documentary got to 40 years, uh, 40 years of prison and made it to HBO. And I'm also pleased about Judas and the black Messiah making it um, to theaters and winning awards and and all of that, because the more people know, the, the less the government can hide, you know, and they need to hide to continue to do what they're doing. So we need to expose and bring this stuff out into the, into the, into the forefront so that people can see it so that we can resist it. Well, unite. Thanks for that. You are listening to the people's war radio show produced by WBPU black power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Mike Africa. Uhuru, you said earlier that Mamiya Abu-Jamal's life sentence without parole is a slow death sentence. And we know that he spent most of his time in solitary confinement and has been under constant attack by the state. 
Um, can you tell us anything else about the conditions that he's faced? What do you mean that he's faced like throughout over the years or like? Yeah, this- yeah, that he's just yeah, that he's been facing over the years. Earlier, you got into uh, some of the health conditions that he's faced. And I was just um, wanted to see if there's more you could tell us about what he's been experiencing behind bars. Well, yeah, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of details that people don't know. You know, you don't know what people go through when they're in prison unless they tell you. But, you know, when you watch the movies, prison movies, and people being strip searched and beaten by guards and raped by guards and separated from their families, locked in cages for 23 hours a day. And I'm, when I say a cage, I'm talking about if you're a six foot man, you can touch both walls just by spreading your arms out. Restricted from contact with your family, you know, watching your head, uh, your head on a swivel, watching your back throughout the time you're there just because you don't know who is who. You know, you got so many men, thousands of men, a couple thousand men, you know, with their own issues, their own problems. Guards coming to work, taking out frustrations on people with nightsticks, with mace, with charges. Um. I did an interview with a brother who just got out of prison recently himself after 30 years. And he talked to me about how, you know, when they, when they strip you down and make you take off all your clothes and they spray that, they, they throw that white powder on you. You, you know, they do that to you while your hands are touching, both hands touching a wall. And the reason your hands both have to touch the wall is just in case you might try or want to, retaliate against one of the guards. So they make you put both hands on the wall. And if one of your hands come off, whether it's by accident or not, even if it comes off for a split second, the moment that it doesn't make contact with the wall, the guards have the right to attack you and attack you with uh, justification, quote unquote justification, because you attempted to assault them because one of your hands came off the wall when they told you to put your hands on the wall, you know, and, and you have at that point, you you're in danger of getting a write up or being assaulted and beaten and pinned to the ground with your neck under the heavy foot, the heavy steel toed boot of a prison guard. This is the type of stuff that people in prison go through every single day. And in the case of a person like Mumia, who's been in prison nearly four decades, they've seen this and they've experienced this. It's it's a horrible thing to have to live under the rules, the oppression of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, or brown-eyed person that hates you just because you're black or just because you're an inmate or just because they can and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Really, really uh, keeping it real and laying out the contradictions. Bumia Abujamal is perhaps the most talked about political prisoner with international support. In November 2020, Colin Kaepernick made this public statement in support of the campaign to free Mamiya. 
I was invited to speak on behalf of Mumia, one of the first things that came to mind was how long he's been in prison. How many years of his life have been stolen away from him, his community, and his loved ones. He's been incarcerated for 38 years. Mumia has been in prison longer than I've been alive. When I first spoke with Mumia on the phone, I did very little talking. I just listened. Hearing him speak was a reminder of why we must continue to fight. Earlier this year, the United Nations Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner issued a statement noting that prolonged solitary confinement, the precise type often used in the United States, amounts to psychological torture. Mumia Abu-Jamal has spent roughly 30 out of his 38 years in solitary confinement. In his book, Live from Death Row, Mumia wrote that prison is a second-by-second -second assault on the soul, a day-to-day -day degradation of the self, an oppressive steel and brick umbrella that transforms seconds into hours and hours into days. He has had to endure this second-by-second -second assault on his soul for 38 years. He had no record before he was arrested and framed for the death of a Philadelphia police officer. Since 1981, Mumia has maintained his innocence. His story has not changed. Mumia was shot, brutalized, arrested, and chained to a hospital bed. The first police officer assigned to him wrote in a report that the Negro male made no comment, as cited in Philly Mag. Yet 64 days into the investigation, another officer testified that Mumia had confessed to the killing. Mumia's story has not changed. But we are talking about the same Philadelphia Police Department whose behavior shocks the conscious, according to a 1979 DOJ report. Behaviors like shooting nonviolent suspects, abusing handcuffed prisoners, and tampering with evidence. It should therefore come as little surprise that according to Dr. Johanna Fernandez, over one third of the 35 officers involved in Mumia's case were subsequently convicted of rank corruption, extortion, and tampering with evidence to obtain convictions in unrelated cases. This is the same Philadelphia Police Department where officers ran racial profiling sweeps like Operation Cold Turkey in March 1985 targeting black and brown folks and bombed the move house in May of that year killing 11 people including five children and destroying 61 homes. The same Philadelphia Police Department whose officers eight days before the 2020 presidential election shot Walter Wallace Jr. dead in the streets in front of his crying mother. The Philadelphia Fraternal Order of Police has unrelentingly campaigned for Mumia's execution. During their August 1999 national meeting, a spokesperson for the organization stated that they will not rest until Abu Jamal burns in hell. The former Philadelphia president of the Fraternal Order of Police, Richard Costello, went as far as to say that if you disagree with their views of Mumia, you can join him in the electric chair and that they will make it an electric couch. 
The trial judge on Mumia's case in 1981, Albert Sabo, was a former member of the Fraternal Order of Police. Court reporter Terry Moore Carter overheard Judge Sabo telling a colleague, I'm going to help them fry the nigger. Found in December 2018 in an inaccessible storage room of the DA's office, six boxes of documents from Mumia's case reveal previously undisclosed and highly significant evidence showing that Mumia's trial was tainted by a failure to disclose material evidence in violation of the United States and Pennsylvania constitutions. In November 2019, the Fraternal Order of Police filed a King's Bench petition asking the court to allow the state attorney general, not the Philadelphia DA's office, to handle the upcoming appeals. As the FOP president John McNesby said, just last year, Mumia should remain in prison for the rest of his life. And a King's Bench order provides the legal angle for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to uphold Judge Sabo's original wish, which was for Mumia ultimately to die in prison. Today we are living through a moment where it's acceptable to paint end racism now in front of the Philadelphia Police Department's 26th District Headquarters. And yet a political prisoner who has since the age of 14 dedicated his life to fighting against racism continues to be caged and lives his life on a slow death row. We're in the midst of a movement that says Black Lives Matter. And if that's truly the case, then it means that Mumia's life and legacy must matter. And the causes that he sacrificed his life and freedom for must matter as well. Through all of the torture Mumia has suffered over the past 38 years, his principles have never wavered. These principles have manifested themselves in his writing countless books while incarcerated, in his successful radio show, in the time and energy he has poured into his mentorship of younger incarcerated folks, and the continued concern with the people suffering outside of the walls. Even while living in the hells of the prison system, Mumia still fights for our human rights. We must continue to fight for him and his human rights. Mumia is 66 years old. He is a grandfather. He is an elder with ailments. He is a human being that deserves to be free. Free Mumia. That was Colin Kaepernick, NFL quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, until he was ostracized for his political protests against police brutality. Mu family members have been active in organizing for the release of other political prisoners as well as Mumia. Can you explain the events that have sparked his recent campaigns for his release? I know that there have been some important legal decisions and other efforts that uh, you know people have worked hard to achieve in the recent years. Can you explain some of that for us? You know, we've had a lot of campaigns over the years. Every year on December 9th, we have a protest or, or some type of event. Sometimes we have a banquet. Sometimes we have a gala. Oftentimes we have a demonstration. We've had birthday parties. Any type of event that could encourage people to come and support. We've had events at Madison Square Garden where celebrities came in and, and, and 
spoke their truth about the innocence of Mumia and calling for his freedom. We had this thing called the Million Millions for Mumia, where 250,000 people came to the city of Philadelphia in protest with uh, guests uh, Chuck D and musical guests like Rage Against the Machine. We've had uh, the Million Letter campaign where we got hundreds of thousands, if not a million letter people writing letters and sending them to the Capitol. We've gone to the Capitol in, in Philadelphia, in uh, Pennsylvania, and protested against the governor. Civil disobedience, where we protested at the judges' houses, subsequently got arrested for it. Uh, we've done countless protests and events. We've had countless celebrities, community activists, organizers, every race of people supporting every just about every country in the in the in the world uh, supporting. The Mumia campaign has grown in size and support throughout the years. Uh, when he was taken off death row, a lot of people didn't see the urgency that they saw before. So people kind of backed off some. But I think right now people are feeling the urgency now again. So what can our listeners do to get involved with the effort to free Mamiya? So right now I'm working on trying to get as much information out about Mumia as possible. I have a podcast that I'm using. Uh, it's It reaches a lot of people. And as many people, like Pam did a, Pam Africa did a two-part um, information campaign on my show. And people can follow my show by going to all the platforms that podcasts exist, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Audible, Overcast, all of, all of them, they, it's out there. It's on the move with Mike Africa Jr. Get the information. Listen to the to Pam talking. There's other stuff on there too, but right now we're talking about Mumia. Pam Africa is the leader of the International Friends and Family of Mumia. She has fought tirelessly for his release for decades. On a move, we have here a case, clearly, factually, a case of judicial, prosecutorial, and police misconduct. I like to add terrorism to that. And uh, But Mumia, no, um, the district attorney, Krasner, has released 15 people and uh, dealing with judicial and prosecutorial uh, misconduct. Mumia, you know, who has been you know, on the foregrounds and Krasner know about his case, has not released Mumia. We must demand that Krasner do for Mumia what he did for the other 15 exonerees, 13 black, one white, and one Latino. Um, you know, we're asking people to help us stop the plot, stop the plan. It's clear that they're trying to kill this innocent man. Fifteen cases. He could have, you know, released Mumia. And, uh, and you know, I can't express enough. Mumia is very 
ill in that prison, not like he was two years ago. Mumia's liver, and or he has cirrhosis of the liver, and or he's under the COVID that, you know, everyone else is under inside them prisons. And the thing is, he should be on the street based on evidence. We need to immediately put pressure and demand that Krasner release Mumia based on judicial and prosecutorial misconduct. And Mumia don't have to come back to court because Krasner released two of the prisoners and all from prison. They never came back to court. So, um, you know, I can't express this enough. The plots, the failed plots for 39 years where they tried to kill Mumia, if it wasn't for a judge in Scranton and the movement, and uh, Mumia will be dead today. And uh, because the um, prison officials was in a plot that got exposed inside the prison, I mean, inside the courtroom before you know, a lot of people that, um, you know, they were manipulating papers to kill him. So we're not just talking about judicial and prosecutorial misconduct. We're talking about a plot, a continuous plot, to try to kill Mumia. Um, so I'm saying, on the move, long live revolution, and free Mumia Abu-Jamal, a black political prisoner on death row, who is a world-renowned journalist as well. Thank you, on the move. That was Pam Africa the leader of the International Friends and Family of Mumia. Here's Mike Africa Jr.'s 2020 release called Time to Rise. Welcome to the first Democratic debate in the 2020 race for president. Another thing coming. 
Ohio saving. They don't care about the people, never did. They're trying to make the Indian man all gone. They kill each other and sing about it. The American anthem is a violent war song. World problems are worse today. The face of the earth is cursed today. Tomorrow politicians will give you the same game. The vote for them and every one of them will betray. Wilson, Good Street, Nutter and Larry. Donald Trump, Nixon and Barry. Clinton, Bush and Bush and Terminator. Same job, political exterminator. We on our own and we got one problem. And there ain't just but one solution. Kick these political parasitical bloodsuckers to the curb and embrace revolution. Time to rise. It's time to rise and beach and overthrow. Time to rise. These lying politicians got to go. Time to rise. It's time to rise and beach and overthrow. Time to rise. These lying politicians got to go. Yeah. John Africa said move ain't talking about changing governments. Replacing one corrupt dictator and slaver for another. Move is talking about going away with all forms of external government and replacing it with the government of self. Yeah. Time to rise. It's time to rise and beach and overthrow. Time to rise. Donald Trump has got to go. Time to rise. Clinton, Clinton, Bush, Bush, and Bush got to go. Time to rise. It's time to rise and beach and overthrow. Time to rise. These lying politicians got to go. Time to rise. It's time to rise and beach and overthrow. Time to rise. These lying politicians got to go. That was Mike Africa Jr.'s Time to Rise. The music video can be found on his YouTube channel. Um, they can also follow me on Instagram. I'm doing a big Mumia campaign coming this coming May. My Instagram is Mike Africa Jr. And so is my Twitter. But if people want to get in touch with the Mumia campaign, they can go to um, www.freemumia.com. www.freemumia.com. That's it. All right, on the move. On the move. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today was Mike Africa. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guests, Mike Africa Jr. for joining us today. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. Colonial virus is why I can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't breathe. Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go.
the colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. So we say down with the colonial virus. 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 COVID-19, that's colonial virus. HIV, that's colonial virus. Juvenile moyes, that's colonial virus. Domestic violence, that's colonial virus. Sexual violence, that's colonial virus. Horizontal violence, that's colonial virus. State violence, that's colonial virus. Gentrification, that's colonial virus. Mass incarceration, that's colonial virus. Deportation, that's colonial virus. The need for constant inebriation, y'all, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black women, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black men, that's colonial virus. This colonial virus. We can't take no more of this colonial virus. We say down with the colonial virus. 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 Yeah.